So when did you recognize Jesus? I wonder if you've ever done that experiment uh, for yourself, a personal inventory, all that I did with Mo. What was my life like growing up? What, what was good? What was bad? What have been my struggles? What are the defining moments? What were the real lows? What have been the highs? When did I first encounter Jesus? Did I always just grow up in church? Was there a moment when I had to make this Christian faith my own? This Thursday, it will be 25 years to the day since I gave my life to Jesus. And some of you know that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a solidly uh, sort of Marxist, atheist home. Um, And when I was in my early teenage years, I very much was the kind of Dawkins-esque kind of protege. I I liked to sit on the opposition side of the debate in RE lessons. And I had some Christian friends at school, and I I thought they were rubbish. I thought their faith was a crutch. I thought they'd got it all wrong. But at the same time, I was deeply insecure. I was deeply anxious about whether I was loved. I felt as though I had to kind of perform a certain role to impress people, to be valued, and to be loved. And on the 4th of May, 1992, at 10.15 at night, I prayed for the very first time with sincerity, with a, a cry of my heart saying, God, if you're real, please let me know that you're real. And, and if you're real, I'll follow you. It was, that, was it, that was it. It wasn't a very complicated prayer. It was as simple as that. And I heard God speak to me in a, a clear, internal, audible voice saying, Graham, I am here with you, and from now on I am always with you. And for me, that was that. That was a simple enough moment to... Uh, Jesus was revealed. It was, my eyes were opened. There was that sudden moment of revelation. And I knew who God was. And I told my uh, friends the following um, day on, as I met them to walk to school. Uh, and uh, when they pulled their jaws back up from the pavement, I think they were pleased. Um, and my life has been different ever since. And I think what Mo said resonates with me. I discovered a joy and a peace. And I think joy and peace are very closely related to one another, actually. Something that the Holy Spirit gives to us that I didn't have. But before I was restless. I was striving. I was straining. Uh, I was anxious. I was fretful and fearful, and then I found peace and joy and hope and rest. Well, when we meet the disciples in this passage in um, Luke uh, 24, sorry, my Bible pages have just turned over. They wouldn't stay open. When we meet them, they are downcast. Verse 17 Jesus asked them, they don't know it's Jesus, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. Another translation says, they stood there looking gloomy. We uh, know that one of these disciples is named Cleopas, or perhaps it's Clopas, who is talked of in John 19. He's married to uh, Mary. She's uh, named in John 19. So perhaps this is Clopas and Mary, husband and wife, uh, returning to Emmaus. Perhaps that's the village where they lived. They've been talking and they've been discussing, and they are walking to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember when this has happened. In a way, it might be helpful as a thought experiment to imagine that Clopas and Mary, husband and wife, these disciples, perhaps they were there. Perhaps they knew the night, the events of Gethsemane. Perhaps they knew that Jesus had been crucified. And that, for them, is perhaps the end of the story. They've heard word from some of their friends. They tell us later on that some of the women report that they went to the tomb and had a vision of angels and that the others rushed to, and they found 
that the body of Jesus was gone. But they haven't yet met and encountered the risen Christ. What are they doing then? Well, they're going home. They're returning to Emmaus. They're returning to their old lives. Their hopes have been shattered. Verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's what they hoped for. They hoped that Jesus would be the one who would redeem, who would set free his people, God's people, Israel. They were drawing with that language of redemption upon that that, uh, ancient motif of deliverance from your oppressors, deliverance from your enemies, uh, deliverance from those who hold you captive. So just as God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt and set them free in the events of the Passover, so they thought that Jesus was going to be the one who would free them, set them free from Roman oppression and rule. We, of course, know that the slavery was far more profound than that and the freedom far greater. Their hopes have been shattered. They're returning to their old lives. Commentator David Kerrigan said this about this passage. So many people today walk that disconsolate path, defeats behind them and no hope before them. Defeats behind them and no hope before them. But he continues, the mission of the church is to join the journey, walk alongside, listen, empathize, and in due course, share the good news. It needs a familiarity with the scriptures and a degree of patience, for not all will want to hear the first time, if at all. But God asks us to be involved in the process. Like the bread used in the meal, God can take us, bless us, break us where necessary, and share us with those along our pathway. Eyes will be opened as the risen Christ is recognized. At the beginning of this year, some of you will remember I shared with you uh, my favorite collect, one of the great ancient Anglican prayers, uh, which says, uh, has these words. It talks about God making all things new. It talks about God transforming the poverty of our nature by the riches of his grace. Then it has this phrase, in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory. That's a Christian prayer. In the renewal of our lives, make known God's glory. We who are Christians are those who have been turned around. We've had our lives turned around. We don't walk back to Emmaus. We don't walk back to our old life. Rather, we have encountered the risen Christ. The gospel is good news. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be overcome by despair. We don't have to strive or strain to be loved or valued. We've been set free from the power of sin and death. One of the greatest dangers for us is that we forget that the gospel is good news. That's why it's so helpful to keep on taking these personal inventories and remembering our lives. Praying that Jesus would stop and eat with us again, that he would visit us and meet us in our place of need. That's how the story continues for uh, this couple, Clopas and Mary. They walk along the road, Jesus interprets the scriptures to them. He explains uh, what was supposed to happen and tries to make sense for them of all of those prophetic scriptures they had read, those passages from Isaiah, which said that the Messiah, the Christ, would have to suffer and would have to die. 
And still yet he's not revealed to them. Their eyes have not been opened, but they want to hear more. And so when they arrive at the inn, uh, Jesus makes as if to continue and they urge him, wait, stay with us a while. Won't you come in and eat with us? And they sit down at the table and Jesus takes the bread. And when he breaks it, their eyes are opened and Jesus vanishes. I wonder whether they had been there in that upper room just three nights earlier when Jesus had taken bread and broken it and said, this is my body given for you. I wonder if it was the repetition of that act. I wonder if there was a particular way he held the bread or a particular way he offered it, which suddenly made sense, suddenly clicked for them. Their eyes were opened. And then they can look back and make sense of everything that was happening. Didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us as we walked along the road? Yes, they did. Everything that was going on was leading us to this point and to this purpose. Jesus is revealed to us as he speaks with us and by what he does with us and in our lives. But we have to be ready to invite him in to stay with us. It's very easy as a Christian to forget the good news, to just go through the motions of Christian life and to forget uh, the benefits of God's grace. One of the reasons that we spend time in sung worship uh, is that as we sing our songs of worship, we remind ourselves, we recall uh, all that God is and all that God has done for us. One of the reasons we celebrate communion every week is that we recall uh, his saving work. We, we call to mind week in, week out what Christ has done for us. But Jesus is also revealed not just to us, but also through us by what we say and what we do in our daily lives. One of my favorite um, passages in uh, the New Testament, lovely verses in 1 Peter 3.15, where um, Peter says, always be ready to give an answer when asked for the reason for the hope that is set within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. Always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is within you when asked. The lovely thing about that verse is it presupposes that somebody's going to ask you the question. Somebody's going to say, why do you have a hopeful life? Why do, you, why do you have peace? Why do you have joy? Why don't you gossip? Why don't you kind of um, say cruel things about people? Why, why, why do you have that patience? Why do you live differently to the other people in this workplace? Why do you act differently to the other people in the school playground? What makes you different? I'm intrigued. Tell me. It's like... Mo and that friend of his in his workplace. Why do you wear that badge, Jesus is my logo? Tell me about God then. There's something about how we live with people that is supposed to prompt the question. Something about how we live that is, it's meant to provoke those around us to say, why are you different? Why do you have this hope? And then we are ready to give an answer, to tell our story. So we've got to make space for people to encounter Jesus, to hear what Jesus has to say and to encounter him themselves. We've got to make space for people to encounter Jesus. We uh, have a mission action plan that we use as a church to help us respond, help us distill what we think God has called us to do. It looks a bit like this. You can pick them up at the back on the way out, or you can look at it on the website. And um, at the heart of this is a conviction that this good news is not just for us. 
God's intention is not just that we hear and receive and respond to his love, but that all people, all humanity, all men, women, boys and girls are drawn to him. And at the heart of our mission action plan is this desire to make more space for people to encounter Jesus in our neighborhood. And to that end, we've got a bold and ambitious plan to launch two morning services from Pentecost Sunday in just five weeks' time. That's June the 4th. But we only want to do that if we're resolved together as a church that we want to make the space. Have you ever been um, waiting for a bus or a tube and, and it comes along and it's absolutely heaving and absolutely packed? And you think to yourself, I just don't want to squeeze into that. I'll wait for the next one. Right? And that can be a bit frustrating because you have to wait for the next one. Sometimes the next one comes in and it's absolutely packed. We want to make space for people to come and find room, find a place where they can encounter Jesus. Have you ever wanted to do something, but you were just kind of waiting for an invitation? Maybe there is a restaurant you'd love to visit, but you kind of need a friend to say, let's go together and eat there. Or perhaps there's somebody who you'd love to go and spend some time with, but you feel a bit shy or a bit awkward about uh, prompting it yourself, and you're sort of waiting for an invitation. It's up to us to make the space. It's up to us to invite people. Just imagine for a moment that road to Emmaus. Imagine that there was Clopas and Mary. Imagine there was a third disciple who went along and was walking along the road. Maybe it's you, and, uh, and you're there, and you're walking with them. And uh, Clopas and Mary decide to stop at this inn, and they urge Jesus to stay with them, but they don't invite you in with them. And you have that awkward moment where you're like, is this, like a, is this an exclusive thing? Are we doing this as a group, or do I have to, like, okay, well... See you then. See you soon. Shall I? No, no, no I've, I've, I've got to get home. Yeah? Because we've all had that, haven't we? We've been with friends and they're like going to go and do something and you're trying to read the body language. Is this, is this inclusive or is it their thing? Well, imagine you're that third disciple walking along the road and it's all going on and Clopas and Mary stop and they urge Jesus to stay with them, but they don't urge you to stay with them. Jesus, come and eat with us. Come and stay with us. Well, they don't know he's Jesus yet, so Stranger, come and stay with us. We want to hear more. Bye. Church can be like that, can't it? We've gathered together and we've invited Jesus to be with us, but you guys just do what you do on a Sunday morning. It's up to you. Columbia Flower Market's lovely. I really recommend the breakfast at Curious Yellow. It's great. Go, knock yourself out. And uh, yeah, we can meet after church, perhaps, if you like. Nobody's going to invite your friends, your neighbors, your work colleagues your family, no one's going to invite them other than you. I mean, maybe somebody will. But it's horrible to be left out, isn't it? It's horrible to not be included in an invitation for something wonderful. Or, or imagine maybe you're that third disciple and Clopas and Mary and Jesus go into the inn and you do go in with them. Um, but there's only three stools at the table where they're sitting. And they sit down first and you're like, oh, I've got a book, I'll just read a book while you talk. We've got to make space at the table for people to come. We've got to make space, and that means times, it means seatings. It doesn't look at just the moment because all of our children are out of groups, but there are, you know, at the end of the service sometimes I stand behind that community table and there are kind of, it's standing room only at the sides. There's not enough space. 
We need to make space for people to come and sit at the table with Jesus, to talk with him, to encounter him. That's what this is all about. And to that end, um, we've um, given you these two little slips uh, today. And in a minute, we're going to do something. We're just going to invite you, if, if, if you're up for this, if you're up for making more space uh, so that we can in, uh, invite more people in, then uh, Josh is going to put a bowl and a table down here. And as we sing, we're just going to come forwards and put the slip in. You can, it's actually got a tick box. So if you've got a pen, you can tick it, but you don't have to. You can just come and put it in. Um, if you're really not up for this, don't put the slip in. Keep it in your pocket. But if you're up for the experiment and trying it and going for it, then put it in. But the other thing is it's, it's only going to work if we invite people. So there's another step. Take that home. You might want to just write down the name of a person that you're going to invite to church. A friend, family member, somebody that you want to come and uh, encounter Christ. Maybe there's somebody who you've got a sneaking suspicion is a little bit like Mo. They're kind of struggling with despair and they're low and life's a bit out of control. It's a bit of a train wreck and uh, they need to know that they're loved. It all starts with us remembering that we were invited. It all starts with us inviting Jesus to come and be with us. The disciples urged Jesus to stay. Jesus promises that he'll come in and eat with anyone who invites him. Let's stand together and um, we're going to worship and uh, I just want to invite us to pray as well. It's so easy to forget that this is good news. It's so easy to forget what our life was like before we knew Jesus. Actually, it's easy as well to become beset by fear and stress and strain uh, and anxieties again. It's easy to adopt that posture that Cleopas and Mary had, feeling disconsolate, downcast, gloomy. To only see our defeats behind us and, and not to see any hope before us. And, and, and if that's you today, if you're feeling like you're in that place, maybe, um, maybe about your finances, maybe about your work, maybe about your home or a relationship, then I urge you, why don't you just pray that Jesus would come in and eat with you? Urge him to come in and eat with you and stay with you a while. That's how our lives are turned around. That's, that's when our hearts burn within us.